Okay, everybody, welcome to episode two. Numero dos. Dos. Episode song. <laughs> if uh, the Siam Smoke Sessions podcast, this is me, Bill, with Sita, Howdy. broadcasting out of Siam and uh, Old Blighty. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, so we've got a good episode for today. Uh, just like last week, I'm going to start off, kick things off uh, with a question that's a little bit random for Sita uh, and for, for everyone here. So this one is, is uh, I wouldn't say it's a hard question, but you kind of would have had to read it before or come across it before. So let, let me ask you this, Sita. How many tourists came to Thailand in 2019? Oh, many, shit, 2019. This, many, this is the thing. This is before you know, the pandemic era. This is another one of my, like, statistic mishaps because I saw the statistics the other day for this year's tourists. So it's like, shit, it's not that no, one. I, 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 nope, 2019, my friend. You, you can't do this year or last year. It's 2019. So 2019... That was kind of peak just before COVID time. It was peak. It was number one year ever just before <sighs> the COVID era. I mean, I'm pretty sure like it's like two million Malaysians came over this year or something stupid. So if like that's just Malays, how many fucking people came to Thailand? How many people, how many tourists came to Thailand in 2019? This was the year before the pandemic era. So it was the busiest year in recorded history for Thailand. What, how many, how many, how many tourists came to Thailand? I'm thinking high mills, so like 100 mil to 250 mil. That is, that would be awesome. Uh, but it was 40 million. It was 40 million. Uh, See, so, I just, just like yeah. trying to round up to a hype number. I don't know how many people there are that really exist, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's a lot if you count... <clears throat> all the people that have ever lived um yeah there's a lot you know i'm sure there's a lot of them that we'll never know sadly but uh but in in any case in this episode we're going to talk about a subject that we kind of talked about on the first inaugural episode of this podcast um, we had kind of mentioned some stuff about the 1960s the hippie trail the overland trail and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the subject because there's some curious characters from that time uh, that we both uh, had kind of found interesting. There's a couple bit, bits of uh, local history and kind of history of cannabis that ties into the 1960s and the hippie trail. Um, it's just one era that we'll probably be exploring uh, on this podcast. Uh, we will be having guests soon. We're, we're lining up guests, so it's not just always going to be us two. Um, so these are just things to look forward to. Also, you might have uh, noticed in the last episode a couple things uh, with me and Sita. Uh, the recording was a little weird and wonky for our inaugural oh, episode. God. That's not the way I planned it. Um, in <laughs> fact, we had done me and Sita had done a trial run the previous day uh, before recording that podcast, and we both had like basically locked in like the method of recording. We had it all smooth. We, it was ready to go. And then what happened, Sita? It's, it's kind of more what didn't happen. <laughs> Hey, give give the inside baseball here, man. People want to know what happened. People want to know what's happening so behind guess, the curtains here. Yeah. I guess we forgot to record on their end. 
Okay, so there was two ways we were going to record it. There was a recording software I was using, which wasn't optimal. It was a backup. And then Sita had the recording system through our our software here that was the more optimal version, but he forgot to press record after we had done an hour-long episode. Uh, so you did hear the suboptimal version for last week. Now, is that going to happen again this week, Sita? No, we're recording right now. I clicked it. I checked it. I've got notes all around my screen. We're, we're good. There's post-it notes. There's, we're Gucci. There's post-it notes everywhere. Uh, Sita, let me ask you this before we get started. What what did you smoke t- uh, today before this episode? Uh, today it was pretty good because like when I got back to England, it was meant to be what people call in America and England stop quote-unquote croptober. You know, it's usually a big crop uh-huh. season for weed. Yep, I yep. get back from Thailand and for some reason, we're in a fucking drought. <laughs> oh, so there's was a drought on, going on in England. Okay. okay. In some places there was, there was. So I was a bit stuck on some old school classic British mids. So like the, the guava dogs, the strawberry amnesia. But but today I got some uh, cherry pie. So I'm a bit happy about that. A bit more modernized, uh, better looking bud, shall we say. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, yeah, I took some, um, I have some, uh, can of oil, uh, that I usually take during the day to kind of medicate. So that's what I'm on (laughs) pretty much, dude. I'm, I'm definitely getting up there and, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely my preferred, uh, normal, uh, consumption method. So most definitely you could put me in the boomer category at this point, but Sita's still young and kicking. So he's, (laughs) he's rolling up fatties and toking it up. So that's all good, man. Uh, so let's get this started. Let's, where should we start? Cause I'm going to be asking you some questions. You can ask me some questions too, but to set the kind of scene, 1960s, there's a lot of stuff going on. One of the things that's happening is Vietnam war. Um, but you know, U S in Vietnam, and then they're also in Laos and Cambodia. Now, we don't want to get too much into the politics of it or the, whatever happened during that time. People can read about that. We're mainly curious about the weed and how it ha- and how this has kind of led to uh, what we have today. So what was going on in Vietnam and then with the U.S. Uh, uh, servicemen, and I guess there was others too. The Australians were there, and there was some others too, and the French were there before that. So they're not all their hands aren't clean in this matter. So, but what was going on? You you had you had brought up uh, just before the the uh, we connected here uh, about a soldier named Peter Lemon. So who who was this guy, and what was what was his deal in Vietnam? So Peter Lemon was like the classic uh, American tale of like a boy, he was going to become a great soldier. Do you know what I mean? He knew what he was going to do, you know, like aiming rifles at nine years old and hitting targets, shit like that. So when this guy got into the army and, you know, everything was kind of going off in Vietnam, the Red Scare and, you know, again, I won't go into the politics, but Vietnam was a very different kind of war. (laughs) And uh, as Peter went in with this hero patriotic mentality, he uh, quickly realized Ah, this war's fucking shit. <laughs> you know, the yeah. base that he, the base he was at was basically a decoy base to bring Vietnamese soldiers out of the forests, and they didn't mind being a decoy just casually. So, like Peter, to deal with this, started smoking weed because he wanted to relax, and he had the jitters, and like a lot of soldiers around him were kind of going towards this herb to deal with the atrocities that were going on. 
And so it was quite interesting to hear that, you know, soldiers just casually smoking weed before going into battle because they feel like shit. Yeah. Okay. Was there anything kind of uh, when when you were reading about him? Did, first of all, where did you come across the story? So I'll I'll give you the link and we can put it in the bio because it's a pretty cool video. But it's okay. it's called it, it's just I can't remember the channel, but it's like a cartoon short story history channel with a guy with the so Peter Lemon soldier from America kind of voice and. <laughs> Um, basically, I just found this video and I was just kind of in awe about this guy who was wanted to be this patriotic hero. And it just, you know, he did, but not in the way he kind of intended. Yeah. Was there any kind of like stories about when he, when he was there that kind of stood out to you or anything? Uh, so the, yeah. the, main, the main story that got him his awards was um basically as i said the base was a decoy base so they were drawing out the Viet Cong, the vietnamese soldiers towards the base and one night one of the higher officials believed that he saw a formation growing in the jungle so he got everyone up ready this was before midnight so about i think it was like 10 11 o'clock and so you know they were like okay there's definitely people there they fired into the supposed like where they thought the formation was and they heard nothing nothing happened so the higher up was like okay i must have got it wrong there's no one there sent them back to bed you know and then peter being a bit stressed about this for you know i'm gonna smoke a fat dube before i go to sleep he smoked said fat dube and managed to get an hour's kip until he heard a fucking missile or whatever hit the communications tower he has to rush up high as balls and the higher up was right there was people in the forest they were just waiting <laughs> for night cover so there couldn't be any air support so poor little peter and his other soldiers that are stoned so just fumbling about grabbing guns they got to the point where like he was just lobbing grenades into the jungle um <laughs> The end point of this was like a massive missile silo where they were keeping ammunition in the middle of the camp got hit by a missile and completely fucked a lot of shit up. Uh, it killed some of the Vietnamese and some of the American soldiers. But Peter, he uh, was injured and decided to keep going. And before he passed out of exhaustion and blood loss, he was stoned as balls firing machine gun into the jungle in complete view, <laughs> just hoping to make everything stop. See, this puts a this puts a new twist on the old uh, meme of when the trees start speaking Vietnamese. Uh, <laughs> yeah, trust yeah. those instincts because an hour later, guess what's going to happen? Yeah, uh, it's okay. So, all right. So this this kind of brings uh, me to another because again, this is all this all relates to Thailand because the the servicemen at the time were basically stationed in in thailand for both r and r and then also there was some um of the air bases uh being used in thailand uh along with the thai uh government uh, and and service and uh, and so the when the servicemen would come to thailand there was a lot of um kind of weed going around um and uh you know a, a lot of the nightlife stuff that we know today like uh like soy cowboy and stuff kind of comes out from this time patia and everything so uh there's but then there's also another side to this which is 
kind of the hippie side, which is what I was kind of really curious to talk to you about. Um, so a lot of this starts from uh, really a lot of it in the UK. There's a lot of this, these overland tours that had started. The history goes way, 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 way back. But I wanted to just ask you generally, like before we started talking about this, what was your kind of understanding and impression of like the the hippie trail? Um, what did you know about it? We'll talk about some more specific stuff here in a moment, but like, what did you kind of understand what, what the hippie trail was? How did you like in the UK or England, like, is this still kind of a thing that is talked about? Are there like relics from that time, like old buses and stuff? Like what, what was your impression of all this before we started talking about it? So like the hippie trail for Britain is still kind of, it's definitely a thing. Like you'll hear of the kids going on, like, I need a gap year or like you know that kind of phase in life and the hippie trail is kind of one that people still use as well as like the hippie trail as well i can't remember the name of a protester but he was a climate change protester it, it might have been swampier it might have been another guy there was a lot of english people that like to do walking like sis say but he one of the protesters for like eco-friendliness and climate change he did the whole hippie trail by foot i believe when I was this find though out this was like the 70s 80s so this wasn't like the early 60s like when it kind of kicked off but that was like a story i remember again i'm a young boy okay <laughs> yeah 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 okay so but, but but this has been this is something like you were kind of familiar with so there was there was this guy who who walked it uh what, what now what was most interesting to me uh, there's a couple people who have kind of documented some of this one was a, a gentleman from the uk named richard gregory yeah. um and uh, again we'll put all this in the show notes now he kind of talks about the history of it and it's across all the countries so the the popular ones are you know like turkey iran uh afghanistan india nepal and then there was kind of like that's kind of the main route to like Kathmandu. And then there was kind of like an extension, they called it, like the Southeast Asia extension, which would go through like Burma, Thailand, down to Singapore, Hong Kong, um, even Indonesia. Um, and so he documents a lot of the history about, uh, you know, who had started it um, in England, who had started coming over when all the uh, kind of, you know, the, the cannabis history related to it. So from what I had read in the modern era, at least, because this kind of trail kind of goes all the way back to something we were talking about last week, which is like the Silk Route, the Silk Route or Silk Road um, mm -hmm. routes. Uh, you could go back to like Alexander the Great, who had invaded like Persia, Afghanistan, India, like 2300 years ago. You could go back to like Marco Polo, who had done these routes. There was a guy in kind of like late medieval slash kind of early Renaissance named John uh, uh, Mildenhall I had come across who was an Englishman who had traveled overland to India from England in the 1600s. So there's kind of this history of like going back and forth between, you know, Europe and Asia through this overland route, which is very difficult, but became interesting when in the modern era. Um, so in like the early 20th century, it really started to kick off again in 1924 there were three guys who drove from uh, Leeds. Which where is Leeds? Leeds. This is this. I'm going to sound like a terrible Brit because I am shit with English geography. <laughs> I believe Leeds is north. I'm sorry, Leeds guys. I believe it's north, west-ish near Liverpool somewhere. I don't fucking know, guys. 
I travel yeah, I'm gonna, out I'm gonna of have England, to find not another. around I'm England. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need to find another British co-host here. <laughs> I found the perfect British person to not talk about England. Okay, fair. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna get some hate mail about this. And again, uh, you know, you're welcome to come on and and uh, rumble with us a little bit. But wherever Leeds is, somewhere there in England, where it's in the the, the North Middle. As I stare down at my Google Maps, it's a, I totally know off the top of my head, it is a, in the north middle of the, the mid-north of England. Okay, okay. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So they had taken a uh, Wolsey 15, uh, which is some sort of vehicle, uh, which I'm going to find pictures of. Uh, they had driven that all the way to India, uh, and they had filmed it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to track down the, the film if it's out there. This was in 1924. Um, over the years, you know, there was uh, more people who took the trip, but it wasn't until the post-World War II era, 1957, where the infamous or famous or renowned India Man bus brought a new generation to the trail. And this is the this is one bus that kind of has um, a big place in the whole history of this. And then after after this point, after 1957 is and is really when when larger amounts of people started coming over, one bus became caravans. There would be caravans that would come across more and more people would come over land and it became the hippie trail. So with the reading you've done, so that's that kind of sets just a little bit of the scene like with reading some of um, Richard Gregory's accounts of this, like what were some of the things that stuck out to you, whether it was like the traveling, the cannabis, like what, what, what was the interesting parts to you at least, Sita? I mean, one interesting thing about like doing about the hippie trail is pretty much most countries on the hippie trail had some sort of weed. <laughs> right. That was, that was interesting. Like, I don't know if it was just by coincidence or, you know, but like, there's a what you can do a complete like tour of weed history by going on the hippie trail, like the way hashish is done in Turkey, Iraq, and stuff like that. Then you get down to more Southeast Asia, where there's the Thai stick and the brick and the bundles. So that was interesting to me to see, basically, in my opinion, partially a trade route for weed. <laughs> and that's kind of what it became. Yeah, that's that's fucking cool as shit. Like yeah. even though it what didn't intend like that, like it's called the hippie trail, but again, hippie is kind of in quotes. Let's just say a little bit, because like bringing up from the guys from Leeds, they they weren't hippies. If you were the you, hippies, weren't that rich back then. <laughs> well, no, this this was the, at that point it was called the Overland Trail. That's what I'm. That's why it, that is pretty hippie, cool they, that there is this external history. Like everyone hears about the hippie trail. But right. it's not just the hippie trail. There is overland and then even further back with, like you mentioned, Alexander the Great, Marco Polo. But just this root system is just the whole root system, like solidified in history, not just by under one name, but as a right. whole. It's fucking interesting. It, like it's, that is a good it's point. It's got so much history to it. It's not just this thing from the 60s. It goes hundreds of years back. That is a good point. That is a good point. Uh 
Now I wonder too. Okay, so the with the with the cannabis that was being produced, because this all relates to. I I mean I think, you know, what it gets to to me at least is like, at least since the when it was called the hippie trail, like after the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, when cannabis really started to be brought back to Europe in large quantities, um, it started to change you know, the, the culture in, in Europe, uh, and, you know, kind of form to what we have today, like Amsterdam, for example, being a capital of cannabis, um, I think comes kind of comes out of this because when the, when the people were coming back from, uh, these routes, they were bringing hashish and, you know, uh, uh, charas and, and, you know, flour back from, uh, from their travels, uh, to, to resell in Europe. And they would get to places like Amsterdam and, and it became kind of like a, you know, a place where, where people would kind of settle. Um, and there was reasons for that. But I also was reading too, that, um, even before, like in the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, um, the cannabis was being brought back and, and used, especially with like the, the, like the writers and the artists of the time, uh, they would have like cannabis and like hash, uh, you know, parties basically and so it's not like cannabis just got to europe during the hippie time either it was it was coming to europe before but i think it proliferated in a bigger way after the 1960s like it started to become used by more and more people i would imagine if you look at it that way um now i guess the question uh that i'm curious on your end is like so with with all this said like with uh with the with the hash like where would you have gone like, where do you, where would, like, if you could go back to like, let's say 19, you know, 65 and there's the, there's the hippie trail, there's the India man bus, there's these caravans, what route would you have taken? Like I, if like your dream route, if you go back during this time, like what route would you have taken? See, like I, I am a simp for like the Southeast Asian countries and the more far East countries. So like Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand. But like, if I was gonna do like any main route, I'd I'd have to, at this time I'd have to go through India, Turkey, Iran, and Afghanistan. Th those four, like the India, Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey, those four are kind of like main on my basis because of weed history, like especially hash history. Afghanistan, Iran, and India have a massive, hundreds of years long, like process and tradition with hashish that like. You see it a lot. You see it today, but I want to see it like just when people were going over and seeing these stoned farmers in a way making this incredible resin, you know, um, it's kind of, yeah, like I said, I'm a simp for Thailand and Malaysia and Indonesia and all those kind of places in the world. But like at that time in the world, I want to go to the source of when things were really popping for weed. Yeah. Also, I don't really want to go to a war area. <laughs> I don't want to be near Vietnam or anything. Hmm. Yeah. Now, it makes me wonder. I and I, what I was trying to find while I was reading up on some of this stuff was, you know, the way Thailand plays into this um, with cannabis, because of course, and it's something we had brought up in the last episode, which is the Thai stick, which is kind of like the method of transporting it or like preserving it slash maybe curing and drying it, which is like that bundle, um, as opposed to a specific strain. Although Thailand does have like more of a sativa bent, like we had talked about, and there's land yeah. race. Now, 
did Thailand have a tradition of producing hash? Because a lot of these places on the on the overland or the hippie trail or the this Silk Road or this cannabis road, really, if you kind of look at it that way, because that's what it kind of was. A lot of them are what I noticed was like if you look at Morocco, Afghanistan, India, Nepal, a lot of it is focused on the hash. Now, uh, get, I can I can explain a little bit. Okay, please do. But I have one question. Did Thailand also have that hash tradition? And if not, why not? Uh, so Thailand did, but not like anywhere near as mainstream as India, Afghanistan, Morocco, Nepal. And one reason is because of the strains, the land race strains. So you've got more sativa-like strains in Thailand. They're not really, uh, people wouldn't these days would say hash producers or resinous. You know, okay. people breed for hash these days, some, you know, with genetics these days. So for that, you kind of need a bigger build, a bit more bulkiness. So those more like India based genetics, where it's a little bit, you know, more indica side of things. And it's going to be the climate there will help as well. It, it make, the buds are basically more resinous. Yeah. And I don't strictly fully know why they kind of leaned to more hash in those countries, whereas Thailand and over more the flour and stuff. But I think one of the reasons is because the uh, I think storage, you know, it's a lot easier to get all this hash off the plant and store it. So rambling a little bit now, but yeah, I think the main reason that like Thailand didn't is because of the type of weed they were growing. It's not really okay. resinous and hash based, but again, it, it did happen because part of the like other rumors you'd hear of like opium in weed came from some like quote unquote um ne nepalese balls you know the hash balls that people the talk temple about balls. yeah temple balls yeah yeah, yeah. so that kind of did, that did like make its way into thailand a little bit but again only because of trade and this kind of the hippie trail really before that it wasn't massive from what i can tell anyway yeah yeah because when you so like sita was saying uh with the uh, sativa weed with uh, in Thailand, it's not ideal for uh, producing hash. Uh, and the countries that did were more famous for hash, like Afghanistan, Nepal, Morocco, they were gr they're really growing like a, a different plant in a way, uh, which is more ideal. And then also, uh, I think one thing that like related to like the hippie trail that I thought was interesting, a lot of the people that were bringing uh, cannabis back to Europe often we're bringing hash and I think the reason for that is you could get a better price for the, the it was I don't know if you saw in Richard um, uh, Gregory's site the prices but it was something very inexpensive to bring to buy hash in say Nepal and then to bring it back you could get a pretty good price in Europe so it was uh, because of the strength of of hash and so you could you know transport it easier for a more potent type of product it was cheap to buy. And then um, if you got caught with it, there was a system in place uh, that, and this is something that I thought was kind of interesting in uh, his his accounts of this time, which is that basically there was, they had like funds set up for, for people, which like a percentage of it would go to uh, criminal defense and like bailing people out funds if they were in jail. In, at any place along the trail. So like if they got arrested in, you know, coming into Europe or if they got arrested, <clears throat> excuse me, somewhere in Nepal or wherever they would get arrested, 
there was a percent percentage of the funds that they would pay for um, like the booklets and stuff uh, that were kind of used by them to as like guides um, and and different and different things like that and different like uh, uh, tours like a percentage of them of the funds would go to the bail the bail funds which I thought was interesting so I think that also has a part to play in why hash came to Europe more than anything is is that kind of what you had understood too or what do you think oh definitely like if you think about transportation and uh the potency hash is a lot easier to take with you you know like you can get way more out of hash for how much you have than you would if you brought back like okay let's say you brought back an ounce of flour compared to bringing back seven grams of hash like the hash is probably still going to last you just as long or maybe even longer but the like the, you're going to get caught easier with flour right Right. There's a reason hash is like the number one smuggled version of weed. Yeah, and especially for Europe too, because in the US we we didn't really mess around with hash too much. Now, no, I mean, no. you can get hash. Like, don't get me wrong, you can. And people would always like. I remember growing up, people would like make like bubble hash and stuff. Yeah, um, but it wasn't like smuggled in like it is into Europe uh, at all, like whatsoever. Um, brick weed from Mexico was always the thing back in the day, and now, now you know the U.S. doesn't need all of that. Like there's, you know, the market's like, you know, more mature and stuff. But um, it, I don't think hash was really ever a massive thing like it was in Europe. Um, and I think this overland trail has a big part to play in that, um, in terms of what was being smuggled and and why. Uh, but that leads me to kind of bringing it back to the Thailand thing. And this is something we touched on a little bit last week with like Thai stick. Um, now with the the war going on, because there was you know there was a lot of because a lot of the um, U.S. soldiers, uh, you know, they they got they would get weed, they would get this, they would get that, they would get you know opium, they would get heroin, whatever they could get. A lot of that they started to bring back to the U.S. Um, and I would imagine Thai stick was was part of this. Um, was this part of was this being brought back to Europe too? Is was Thai stick a thing in Europe at this time, or what? Or England, or is it talked about in the same way in those countries uh, in Europe and UK as it is in the US? Or what, what's the experience there? Oh, definitely. If you speak to like some of the as we refer to them, old heads, yeah, like the, the in England, Thai stick was definitely I, I think even possibly more of a bigger thing than America in like compared to like the brick weed and. St- Thai stick like on a average I don't like, know about stick... that really because I feel like we got way more Thai stick than we ever did brick weed uh, we're talking about like the 1960s and 70s here yeah I still f- uh... see that's what I mean I think England was more Thai stick and hash than ever like brick weed as well I mean there was brick weed but you know because you guys are way closer to Mexico and those kind of countries I don't know. I feel like I've spoken to more people. That, there was brickweed, like lamb's bread and stuff like that. But Thai stick seems pretty popular. Okay. I could be wrong, but I could be just dabbling with certain types of old heads. But Thai stick seemed very popular here, especially. I mean, probably you guys probably had it a lot more than us, if we're talking quantity, and as well as ease, because of the whole... I will now go into the whole army postal system that so much soldiers like to abuse well that's um, what i was kind of referring i think that's that's yeah that's quite i mean i there was most definitely a lot of it coming into the u.s at that time it, it was think, a 
yeah, yeah, you guys definitely got more than us, but I think like in the more like I think what I'm thinking of is the more notable weed. You know, the better, more interesting stuff in England seemed to be tie stick over than the brick weed, but you guys definitely got it way more easier. Okay. Interesting. Um so that's interesting. That's something that I'm gonna I'm curious about. I'm gonna have to because okay, so there's a couple people that I know in Chiang Mai who were around in the 1960s and 70s, um, and I'm going to be talking to them and see if they want to come on the the podcast. So that we're gonna have we're gonna have to settle some of this stuff because it was my understanding that Thai stick was pretty popular at this time in the U.S. Um, and the brick stuff, I'm not sure what its place was, but to me, the brick stuff uh, was more of a later thing. But I could be wrong. Um, but uh, that's something I want to settle because there's a couple people I know that were in Thailand at this time. Um, and then also a couple of people that had, uh, you know, were involved with narcotics at that time. So I'm, I'm going to see if we can get a couple of people on the podcast because there's some of these questions that so that's an interesting thing, too, though, because a lot of these questions about this time, a lot of it is kind of surrounded by like myth and rumor, you know. Um, yeah. And it becomes difficult to get to the truth a lot of this because it's all like basically for, like you have to go on firsthand accounts of people um, and very few people had written anything down. Now, there are some books um, of this time and we could probably start to look at books a little bit closer. For this episode, we looked at a couple of people's works, mainly this Richard Gregory fellow. There's also uh, Richard Ehrlich, who um, was around during this time, and he had uh, written on, he was a, kind of like a journalist uh, who worked out of Thailand. He had uh, entered, interviewed uh, Charles Sobraj, the, um, uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, what do they call him? The, the Netflix show. Um, oh, geez. Yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, the, the hippie killer, basically. Uh, they had his, they had a sh- the show on Netflix. It's yeah. It's just, yeah. Anyway, uh, he had interviewed him in uh, a jail in, in, uh, in prison in India. Um, and so I've corresponded with Richard a little bit. Um, so we'd see if we can get him on the show at some point, but b- big point is like there's from this time and we don't have much time either. Cause a lot of, I mean, a lot of these, you know, the, the, the time between then and now is what 50 years already, 50, 60 years. So, you know, a lot of these old heads that we're talking about, I mean, you know, every day we're losing another one, you know, it's <laughs> so we need to get their We need to get their first time accounts. I think if we could get some of these uh, guys and if there's, you know, gals to get them on the on the podcast for actual interviews, because there's some of their work that's been written, but a lot of them haven't written much. There's a few that stand out that have. But again, even then, it's the, it's their accounts. It's like what they remember. So the more the more we could get of that, I think would be would be good, especially as it relates to Thailand and how it relates to cannabis history during this time, because I think a lot of that puts the foundation for what we have now. So that's at least my thoughts. Oh, definitely. And again, just to like elaborate on our dynamic a little bit, like with you saying like things are a lot a bit of a mystery and stuff. As well with like the dam- dynamic of me being British, you being American, the mysteries in England were still very different than the mysteries in America, even though they're just mysteries and tales of weed. So that's why like when I'm talking to you, I may think or have an opinion on something a bit differently because that's what the old heads thought here. That's what I've been told. So like, again, I think I don't know 100% the communication on like what America was dealing with because, you know, England wasn't part of the Vietnamese war, so we weren't 
you know, massively involved as you guys were. So we had an influence from it, but I think it was a definitely different influence. That's what I just want to put out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. And all this stuff is just conversation. I mean, here's the thing, like when, when we're doing this podcast, this is for us and the listeners, we're just, we're figuring out some of the stuff ourselves because we're interested. I always approach things as, as uh, kind of a beginner, no matter what, even if I know a lot about something, um, I, I approach it as a beginner. So I, I always approach it as, you know, okay, what do I know? But what do I don't know? And it's probably a lot more that I don't know. And I'm, yeah. I always like that way because you can find out more stuff because if you approach things with a more curious mindset, then you're always going to find out more, you know, than if you, if you think, you know, it's like with the old, the old Zen Koan, like, you know, uh, you know, have an empty cup basically when you approach something, cause you, how are you going to fill a cup that's full, you know? So it's like, it's impossible. You got to cut, you got to approach things with an empty cup. So there's a lot of questions we, I have more. And I think you, you know, and I think if we could get some of these, if these guys, these uh, old heads on, cause there's a couple, I think we could, we could hit up for sure. Um, there's a couple guys I know in Chiang Mai, there's, uh, Richard Ehrlich, uh, who I've corresponded with. I'd like to invite him on. So I'm saying this publicly. Uh, so he's going to get a message from me probably after this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but getting back to the topic at hand. So with Thailand, cause there's a, did you listen to that song I had sent you? Yeah, it was quite, I, I it was very trippy. <laughs> Okay, so um, along back to with like what Thailand's role and with the hippies, backpackers, um, the war, everything going on in Southeast Asia at this time, it's all kind of mixed together. Everyone's got, you know, their ideas about what it was like then. There was a few people that had been here during that time. We'd like to get them on the podcast. But there was there's this one um, hotel that I found when I was reading um, some people's accounts of uh, their time in, in Thailand during this time. Um, and that's the Malaysia Hotel in Bangkok, which I think is still there. But it's at this time, it, you know, so it's been there like for like 50 years, 55 years, whatever. And this is where a lot of the foreigners stayed. Um, I think it was built in 1967. Um, a lot of the people on the hippie trail had stayed there. A lot of the U.S. servicemen on R&R from the war stayed there. Um, it became, you know, like you could imagine the, the feeling I get, it was kind of like a heady place. There's, you know, weed being smoked. There's, you know, anything you want. It's It's gotten kind of got that grimy, dirty Bangkok feel. You know, it's like where the foreigners are going. This is before Khaosan Road. So before we're talking like we're going way back in time here before Kaosan Road is a thing before the that backpacker era. This is like the old era. Right. Yeah. And um, the uh, one kind of funny thing I found about this place, I found this article that it became basically the cheap Charlie budget spot for backpackers before Kaosan Road because uh, their prices were like 120 baht per night and then they had to basically be, after the war all the u.s servicemen were gone uh and they were just re relying on backpackers they had to drop the price in half to 60 baht per night and then it became really a hot spot for uh for weed for backpackers and stuff this is you know probably going into the 70s and stuff so the hotel was kind of on hard times they needed people they need people you know they need warm bodies in those beds and i would imagine there was a lot of weed going through there so then there's this song by this French punk band. Uh, and what was your impression of the song? And we'll link it in the in the show notes. But what, what was your impression of the song? 
it, it to me is basically like a <laughs> like you can kind of picture the guy just stoned in a hotel lobby talking to this Asian Thai woman. <laughs> like that was my vibe, just this tripped out stoner. It's very trippy. It's quite psychedelic. I mean, the westernized name for them is LSD, the band. So, yeah, that's their I like the song. Yeah. I love that song. It's it's sure. It's kind of odd. Yeah, but it's like it's got that Tarantino kind of vibe to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's kind of got that. Yeah, like yeah, like kind of Pulp Fiction. It's a minute long. It's not even really a song. It's more of like a dialogue. But there's a little bit of music, kind of like trippy, kind of like Eastern, like you know, a little, a little bit kind of, you know, uh, uh, feeling to it. And the, they're in Thai, they're asking, um, uh, are you here to smoke? Why did you come to the Malaysia hotel? They ask in, in Thai. And then they, they, uh, they say, did you, did you come to smoke weed? They smoke ganja. And then the person says, no, no, no. You know, I came for this or that. I forget what they say, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool thing. It's kind of a throwback to that era. Um, that's another thing is like, you know, with and in this time, I mean, you know, people always talk about like the the old uh, the old expats in in Thailand always talk about how like things were different back then. But I, I really think probably if you would go back to like the 1960s at this hotel, it probably would feel very different, I would imagine, than it does today. Oh yeah, definitely. Like it makes me think of um, those like old school kind of Anthony Bourdain types. <laughs> Like not hippies, but kind of grizzled writers and journalists that go to these places, and it's all kind of like trippy. This is like it, it didn't seem hippie-ish, if you know what I mean. Like even though we're talking about the hippie trail, it wasn't hippie as we know it. it Does that make what do you, sense? What do, you, what do you mean? It's it's artsy more than I'd say hippie. You know, it's got that like creative kind of old school. I'm going to sit in the foyer of a hotel drinking coffee, looking outside at the world as I write my ah, memoirs. Okay. You know what I kind of mean? I see. Like you and then you've got all these interesting characters that are coming in and out. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I would imagine the characters were legendary um at that time because you know, it's not like it wouldn't have been such an easy trip to get there as it is now. You know, I mean uh you know and and to have even gotten to Bangkok at that time was probably a little bit more difficult. Uh, it wasn't the infrastructure wasn't totally set up for tours like it is now. You're you're kind of on the edge of 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 civilization here. Uh, even though Bangkok was you know big beautiful city, you, you know language in terms of like language in terms of like what your the comforts creature comforts of back home. Now I mean you can more or less live in Bangkok and feel like you're back home besides the weather you know i mean realistically um yeah. it's it's fully westernized at, at that time not so much um and i think if you had made it to that point and you're at that malaysia hotel uh it would have been most definitely a, a cool place to to sit now let me ask you that now this is a kind of a personal question uh when you first came to thailand where did you first stay now this is something i i wrote about um, on my true crime thailand newsletter um, a while back, uh, which was about like, uh, the experience of hotels and hotels being kind of like a transient place where a lot of, you know, kind of strange things happen, whether it's, you know, crime or, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, there's always, there's always this kind of this, like kind of mystique around like hotels and there's famous hotels and, you know, and everything. Where did you first stay when you, when you first came to Thailand? 
I wish I could remember the name of the hotel, but I remember it was near the Victory, like just off the road where the Victory Monument is in Thailand, if you know what I mean. In Bangkok. So kind of, yeah, in Bangkok. So kind of on the main road down to the financial district and stuff. Yeah. So I, I was staying at a hotel that was very, very popular with Chinese businessmen. So it was quite interesting, the kind of culture shock that went around it as well. Ah, uh, that's cool. Uh, you know, my favorite part of Bangkok when I go there is to stay by Victory Monument. Um, uh, the BTS, the Victory Monument BTS, or uh, um, it's really, really a cool place. That that whole area, um, and then the it's by Payatai too, uh, yeah. which is the the next station um, uh, previous to that one. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite places. I oftentimes stay there. The first time I came to Bangkok, I stayed in the st- uh, in the State Tower. Uh, and so it was, it was kind of a cool, uh, kind of a cool experience, uh, there, uh, it's not far from, uh, Sapantaksin BTS, uh, just a little walk down that way. Uh, the Charung Krung, uh, Tanon Charung Krung, uh, road, uh, you know, which goes up to, up the river. So it's not far from the river, um, and everything. And, uh, I still remember kind of the, the magic I felt like walking around Bangkok. Uh, and the first meal I had was at a uh, Yentafo noodle shop. Um, I had Yentafo as my first meal uh, there on uh, Tanon Charung Krung uh, Road. And uh, yes, I still remember, remember the shop. Uh, I try to get down there every time I go to Bangkok. Do you remember the first meal you had when in Bangkok? Oh, yeah, yeah, Padkrapao, and now it's my staple. If I'm ever on death row, I just want a massive pile of Padkrapao. <laughs> that's all I want. Yeah, that's pretty popular. Um, what was the first weed you had smoked in, in Thailand? See, this. See, my first time at to Thailand was before I was even a cheeky little stoner. So ah. I, was a, I was a good boy the first time I went. I mean, I smelt it around Khao San Road, but I was kind of like oblivious. I was a little bit innocent back then. <laughs> okay, so when was the first time you smoked weed then in Thailand? So the first time I smoked weed in Thailand was actually in Chiang Mai with some uh, more rural friends of mine that live up kind of the Chiang Rai, not in Chiang Rai, but that direction out of Chiang Mai. And... I think from what I remember, it was some sort it was some sort of squirrel tail, so okay, so some sort of local weed yeah it was it was definitely local <laughs> nice nice uh that sounds cool, yeah, I think the first time for me it was definitely in Chiang Mai um I'm trying to think i had a I had a friend from Wales, and we would hang out and uh and he had a friend that would make uh, that made like finger hash. So I had some of that. It was really good. Um, and he, they would get flour as well. And then they they made uh, weed cookies that were pretty good. I remember the um, I got really I ate a weed cookie and I got really really stoned. And I went to this restaurant, which is now not there anymore. But if you're if you know Chiang Mai at all, uh, you would have known it as Spades. Uh, it was near. Uh, it was on. It was on off the moat. And uh, it's ran by this Lebanese family, and it was like really good, like meats and like hummus and salads, and you could sit there and kind of people watch because it's like a busy, it's on like a busy intersection, um, not far from Chiang Mai Gate, uh, just before it, and uh, it's pretty pop. It was it was a pretty popular restaurant. They sold it to um, a Kiwi and an American guy, and they ran it to the ground, um, and I won't mention their names, 
But if, <laughs> if you're Chiang Mai people, you probably know what I'm talking about. It has a whole bit of drama around it. Uh, but Spades restaurant. Uh, yeah, we were we were sitting there. We got we got really stoned. Then we took a walk. We went to uh, walk to the park there uh, in the old city, walk to uh, watch a movie. So it was pre- it was pretty cool. Um, and and yeah, that was I remember, I think really the first time I got high was eating that cookie, I think. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but uh, in any case, was there anything else about the hippie trail or overland trail or anything else that we didn't touch on that you thought was was interesting or what do you think, Sita? I think one big thing I want to point out about the hippie trail and stuff is without it, we wouldn't have the modern weed we have today, if you know what I mean. Like, we spoke about people bringing back hash and stuff, but also people would bring back weed and also sometimes seeds, especially to the places like Amsterdam, Denmark, places like that. A lot of the modernized genetics that we have now, like, come from these seeds that people brought back in the day. You know, the the whole rumors of, like, this in America, like, Africa, Pucolo, whatever, Acapulco gold. I can never uh-huh. say that word. Yeah. So that kind of like that era stemmed from these Thai seeds being brought over, then crossed with like Mexican strains or um, African strains, and those kind of built the building blocks up to what we have today. So without the like whole hippie trail, even in the early days, like bringing back seeds was such a big, big thing for what we have now like massively so like strains like blue dream uh northern lights uh hazes all have like roots in thai land races indian land races so thanks to the hippie trail you have your fucking gelatos your sherbets your cookies so give thanks to these (laughs) men of old that just brought back seeds you know i just want to bring that up so like the hazes and stuff that were brought back, well, they weren't brought back, but the seeds that were brought back from Thailand and um, India came to Amsterdam, uh, Danish people, you know, they are big for the early breeding of cannabis. So thanks to these like land race genetics from Thailand and stuff, they built the building blocks to what we have now. Right, right. Okay, cool. Are we going to leave it there? Yeah, leave it there. <laughs> I, can, I can ramble more about genetics or... You can, you can ramble whatever about whatever you want, my friend. You are the star just, of the show, dude. I just think it's important that we give credence to these like old heads that probably didn't think they were doing such a massive thing, bringing seeds and like weed with seeds. And I imagine some of these strains that were bred over here were just accidental like seeds in a bag, bag seeds that they were like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know. So like the whole hippie trail era was a revolution for weed in multiple aspects of just that the culture side the genetics and building up truly what we have today. That is, that is interesting. And I think that's why I wanted to really talk about this uh, subject for this week is because, you know, I think we, we kind of forget like the origins of some of this stuff, which to me are always interesting for this reason. It's because um, you, these stories, it was a lot harder to, to, to get weed, to get good seeds. Uh, now we're spoiled for choices, you know, yep. but at, at, but at that time it was, you know, you had to rely on, on this network that had stretched across, 
you know, the Eurasian landmass uh, to bring in uh, to bring in hash, to bring in seeds, to bring in cannabis, to bring in, you know, all this, all this stuff that has made, you know, weed what it is today. And the stories around that are, are really interesting. So, you know, I know we did this episode just to, to kind of, I mean, already we're an hour, pretty much an hour in, um, we could definitely dive a lot deeper onto some of these subjects. I think one of the goals that I have for, you know, future episodes is if we could get some of these uh, people that were around in the 60s, 70s, probably even 80s, you know, like at the at the tail end of some of this stuff. Because um, from what I understand, the at least from what's been told, a lot of this, the hippie trail, quote unquote, as we're using it, ended in 1979 with the Iran revolution and then the Af- uh, invasion of Afghanistan by the Soviet Union. So that's that was that kind of put the the kibosh to a lot of this as yep. at least from what i understand so it became a lot more difficult to traverse central asia uh like you know from western to central asia and so you know it became kind of a thing in the past and then normal tourism resumed with flights to uh, east uh, southeast asia east asia but uh, that central asian kind of route uh with the with the land overland ra- uh, route uh, basically was ended at that time. Um, although there are some probably anecdotes that of people still crossing over, um, most of it was done by that time that like late, late, the last, last part of 1979 and then, uh, early, early 80s and the world kind of changed, um, after that point. So, but if there's anyone who has been on that, that was on the, this overland hippie, hippie trail, um, you know, if you were involved with it at any point and you want to share your story, please get in touch with us because we'd like to, as Sita said, kind of give respect where respect's due with some of these old heads and people that, you know, have stories that, you know, I think people need to hear about. So. Oh, definitely. I don't want I don't want to just regurgitate stuff I've read and heard. And I want to kind of help bring people who can tell you their stories, you know, the the facts as they know them right for sure uh cool man well that's uh that's going to be an hour for this episode pretty much um we'll come back next week what, what are we planning on talking about next week i mean next week i kind of was thinking maybe i could talk to you a little bit more on the modern side about like what i experienced over there this year but we'll, we'll see what comes up ah like a trip report yeah, a little bit. You know what I mean? Like a I trip, got a lot to say. A trip report, trip report. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tripception. Yeah. Okay. I think that's going to be episode three. Then is Sita's trip report uh, when he came to to Thailand. This when did you, when did you come? What 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 were the dates? Twenty uh, fifth of September to the eighth of October. Okay, so a couple solid weeks. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be good. That would give people who are not in Thailand a perspective of what it was like, uh, people in Thailand a perspective of what's what the tourist experience is like, even though you're not like a, a newbie tourist or anything, but you you know you came for a short period of time uh, uh, as a as a tourist for that tra- time at least. Um, yeah. So cool. That sounds like a good that sounds like a good um, next episode. So yeah, we'll sign off for now uh, until next week. Take care, everybody. This was Siam Smoke Sessions. Bye.